0: Zero Hour Talks is produced by Goals 17 Media, storytellers for the common good.
1: Pride extends beyond being cute, wearing rainbow flags, and saying, I love gay people. It's actually be about being radical in your thinking. You took my hand, made me feel brave. got their and plans and all. We've got each other and our courage.
0: Welcome to Zero Hour Talks. I'm your host, Kayla. I am still quarantining in my home. Except, um, three out of five people in my home have been exposed to COVID because they've been working. So I've just been trying to, like, when I go out, making sure that I am extra careful. This episode, we're talking about Pride, the history of it, solidarity with the LGBTQ+ community, and what that looks like to us in this movement. Today I've got Jamie Morgolan who I've worked with for about a year now. Um, she's in my zero hour team, really like one of the most amazing activists I know. And Devin Halbell, who Jamie connected me to and she's also an amazing activist. I went on your Instagram yesterday, Devin, and you're like so cool. Oh my um, And so I'm really excited <laughs> to sit down with you guys today. Jamie, if you want to give some introduction, where are you right now? How are you feeling? and what yeah. is important about Pride to you.
2: Thank you, Kayla for that introduction. Hi, everyone, my name is Jamie. I'm an 18-year-old climate justice organizer and co-founder of Zero Hour. My pronouns are she, her. For me, the way I'm feeling, you know, Pride is, is coming to an end, and I think by the time that this is out, Pride will be over. And I always feel like a bittersweet feeling when Pride is over. Um, Also for context, for folks, I'm gay and so pride obviously applies to me. I always look forward to pride because it's like, oh, people are talking about us and people know who we are and people care about us. But then I always dread July 1st when all the corporations are like, okay, I don't want to play with you anymore. Like it's like that meme of like dropping the toy of I don't want to play with you anymore year round the corporations don't care about it especially the media corporations they'll like post they'll change their logo and they'll have some rainbow merch but then they won't put queer people in their movies or shows at all or they'll have like a weird background character that's there for three seconds and they'll be like we saved for the gays because we have like a character in there for three seconds but then in pride they're like oh my god we care so much about you we just want to like oh my god we love you guys so much and then july 1st comes around and it's back to just heteronormativity 24 seven all the time. I know that when they're releasing all this rainbow merch and doing all this stuff, I know they don't genuinely care about us. I know it's just a holiday that they're just, well, you know, we gotta pretend to like the gays for a month but even then it feels nice to just be acknowledged because we're often um, fed so little, you know, we get so little representation, we get so little that any bit I'll take. And so when that's gone if people are like, phew, Well, show's over, fellas. Back to cishet business. I'm so sad that Pride's almost over because it. oh God, back to everyone pretending we don't exist. And that happens every
1: year. No, but like, I completely understand what you're saying about um, like going back to heteronormativity. But for me, I feel like every time Pride Month comes around, I'm not necessarily really happy or sad. I just kind of feel very like um, neutral to it because I know that it is just, A marketing strategy, literally. I remember I saw a screenshot of um, this girl who, um, basically there was a rainbow flag and she wrote over the flag on her story, rainbow is the new marketing strategy. And so I just know that it's a marketing strategy. For me, I feel like pride isn't necessarily a month for me. Pride is just how I live my life on a day-to-day basis and like go out and live my life and express myself. I feel like that's how I identify with pride. I love the gatherings that happen with queer people. And I feel like it's a one, especially Pride Parade in New York City, I feel like it's one day where queer people across all five boroughs can go to Manhattan and, like, feel safe to a certain extent. They can wear whatever they want and go wherever they want. And I don't think people are necessarily upset because they know it's the Pride Parade. So that's how I feel about Pride. Thank you, guys.
0: Devin, if you want to give some space for, like, what work you do in the um, movement space and... Yes just like
1: anything you want to share to our audience go for it yes so um hi my name is devin how about um she her pronouns i am transgender i'm a transgender woman i'm a writer and a lot of my activism has been through writing i wrote about like surviving a hate crime for teen vogue i also work at the lgbt center in new york city where um i work with community in 2018 2019 i was leading trans oh my gosh if you hear a dog in the background i'm sorry Hopefully, <laughs> it's not too loud. Um, at the LGBT Center in 2018, 2019, I was leading, co-leading support group for trans women and trans feminine people in New York City, along with a social worker who's a licensed social worker. I was just a student intern leading the groups with the, um, the social worker. Furloughs just happened. So I'm not actually working as of today, my first day being furloughed. Hopefully in the center, I'll be back. And now I no longer lead discussion groups, but I've been working at the front desk, connecting people to resources, whether that be services at the center or mental health slash legal resources outside of the center. That's
0: really important work. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. Yeah. And I think you both hit on commercialization of pride and the disconnect we can feel between what is supposed to be a month recognizing the need for queer liberation and then what corporations have made it out to be. And so today, I really wanted to talk about the history of Pride, the Stonewall riots, one of the first riots that we saw, and then go into how we process those things. Ten years before Stonewall, there was actually, you know, the Cooper's Donuts riots. In May of 1959, a group of drag queens and hustlers fought cops in a donut shop in in downtown LA, um, furious that LAPD officers were arresting their friends purely for legally congregating in Cooper's Donuts, which was a popular gay meeting place. A large group of transgender women and others pelted the officers with donuts, coffee, and paper plates until they were forced to retreat and return with larger numbers. One of the women there like managed to escape, but when the police returned, the riot ensued that shut down Main Street for an entire day. And that night is really widely considered to be one of the first gay uprisings in modern history. And that was seven years before the Black Cat Cat riot in LA's Silver Lake neighborhood, and 10 years before the Stonewall Rebellion. And so one thing that really comes out to me is that queer people have been uniting against police brutality. And as a Black woman who recognizes that queer liberation is tied to Black liberation, that's something that I really like, resonate with and I really like appreciate because the trans community has really paved the way for us uniting and tackling these issues in the way that they deserve.
1: I wanted to say that it's actually interesting because I feel like I didn't know about the um, LA riots that you just said, um, the donut riots. And I never learned about that until we were, you know, preparing for this podcast. So thank you for letting me know about that. But I feel like the most famous is Stonewall because of Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, Queens Forever. Yeah, it's crazy because a lot of, I feel like a lot of LGBT spaces often forget that Black trans women and Hispanic trans women women. like created the movement or created the, I don't know sparked violence to create a message riots have been a good way to channel anger um into real change and so I'm forever thankful for the riots and I just wish more people learned about the riots in school these kinds of conversations and histories are often left out so thanks for telling me um and everyone else about these riots. And-
2: yeah it's quite interesting recently well, with what's been going on the black lives matter movement I've seen a lot of non-black especially white at least from what I've seen, it's mostly like white, cis, gay men, but but it's also just been from everyone of just saying like, oh, my God, I can't wait for pride. I'm so excited for pride. But then not supporting the current uprisings against police violence, not understanding that this really shows even within different uh, members of the queer community, the disconnect of not knowing your history, because the whole reason that we have rights is because of uprisings against police violence by Uh, black and brown queer folks. Stonewall was an uprising against police violence. And that's why I have the rights that I have today is thanks to the um, uprisings. It's always quite interesting and depressing when I see queer people frowning upon the Black Lives Matter movement, frowning upon the protests and complaining about it and saying stuff like that. But then being like, oh my god, I can't wait for Pride. It's Pride. I'm so excited. Not knowing that Pride is an anniversary of the initial uprisings against police violence. Pride isn't brought to you by XY corporation. It's brought to you by uh, queer and trans women of color who rose up against police violence. Like that's why we have what we have today. And so when people forget that, and then, you know, we see similar uprisings, not the same thing, but it also folks rising up against police violence. And then we see We only have our rights because of a similar kind of uprising, then frowning upon the current movement is just, it shows really the failure of why people need to know our history and Mm. how these movements are
0: intersectional. Yeah, let's jump into Stonewall, which is an incredibly inspiring riot to me. Let's be very clear about this. Pride is a riot. It has been a riot. And Stonewall was a rebellion by Black queer women, Black trans women specifically, um, and Hispanic queer women as well. Before and after that, um, people that cops perceived as men could be legally arrested for doing drag. And people that cops perceived as women could also be arrested if they're found wearing less than three pieces of femme clothing. Police like raided bars to arrest queer folks who violated these homophobic laws. One night, people in Stonewall Inn in New York City, those people were led by trans women and other women of color. They fought back against state-sanctioned violence. Just to be clear, like, Pride and this movement isn't only about an act in silo. Queer folks rebelled before, during, and after this. Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera co-founded STAR, which organized direct actions and gave shelter to trans sex workers and homeless queer youth. And so this rebellion really sticks out to everyone just because, like, I don't even know, like, exactly why it's so pivotal, why it was such a pivotal moment. That was really amazing. What sticks out from Stonewall to you guys?
2: Well, there's a there's a story. Um, well, first of all, every time I hear about Stonewall, I get emotional because it's just like, damn, I wouldn't be able to be me if it weren't for these folks who put their lives on the line because the police are out here fully armed and then they didn't have anything. And so they knew well that, that they their lives could be in serious danger and yet they still rose up for what is right. But there's a story about Stonewall that that I, okay, to be fair, I learned this in an episode of Drunk History on Comedy Central, so that's my source. So Stonewall actually, what a lot of people don't know, and what means a lot to me, is that Stonewall inspired the, that that was the Supreme Court case that overthrew DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act. So this is the story via drunk history, so take what you will. There was this lesbian couple named Thea and Edie. They were living together, I think they met in the 50s, and they were walking past the Stonewall riots while they were happening, or they saw them happen. Should we join in? And they're like, no, we're not revolutionaries. We're just two ladies in love, you know? And they were living together in secret. Um, They get married in Canada because gay marriage gets legalized in Canada, and then one of them dies the government because of the defensive marriage act which pretty much said that marriage is between a man and a woman and everything else is invalid hey you know your friend they called her, her friend which is so insulting because they were like the uh, right. her gal pal her uh. amiga left you money property and stuff like that but you actually can't have it because you're not legally married they're like that's not fair and so she took that case to the supreme court it was her case that overthrew the Defense of Marriage Act and make gay marriage legal. And the people who walked past the Stonewall riots thinking that they couldn't make a difference were eventually inspired to be the ones whose case overthrew the Defense of Marriage Act and it was as another wave of gay rights. And so I just found that parallel really inspiring and really cool. All these people who were scared to take action and didn't think, you know, they saw the Stonewall riots, oh, we can't do that, actually ended up being inspired and being the ones who Uh, overthrew the Defense of Marriage Act and made gay marriage legal in the United States.
0: Thank you,
1: Jamie. Also, drunk history is really good. I'm just thinking about what you just said and how people had to flee to Canada to get married. It's like, it just blows my mind that only five years ago, LGBT or gay people were allowed (laughs) to marry in the United States. Not five years ago, 10 years ago, right? 2010. Oh my gosh.
2: Five years ago. I was like,
1: oh. that was really soon. Like, damn. No. Yeah, no, <laughs> nine years ago. But still, like I was a baby at 20 in 2010. I was literally like half my life. It's a lot of process. Um, how even though this fight has been happening for so long, I don't know, the rights are only being granted now. Um, and the other day the Supreme Court finally made it legal across all 50 states to like not fire someone because they're LGBT, even though Marsha and everyone has been fighting five ever I feel like there's still so much more work to do
2: you know the supreme court came like came out with a ruling of okay you can't be fired for being gay anymore part of me was like oh my god I'm so happy I commemorated it we're in quarantine so I did like a little rainbow eye makeup celebrate and then I was like wait a minute It's 2020 and this just had to be ruled just now. (laughs) What the hell? Like part of me was happy, but part of me is oh, so just yesterday I could be fired if someone found out that I'm gay. And it's just like these these things, you know, it's it's bittersweet because on one end you're happy that finally these laws are overthrown or finally we're starting to get the rights that we deserve. But then on the other hand, it's this is too recent. It's is too feels it feels like we should have been here 50 years ago. It feels right. like a little, oh God. And 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 if you think of like 50 years, it's been 51 years since the Stonewall riots. And that seems like a lot, but it's actually not. My dad was a toddler walking around during the Stonewall riots. It's kind of become a norm. We forget how recent they were like people think of the civil rights movement and the stonewall riots that was so long ago segregation was so long ago being gay was illegal so long ago but in reality it's within our parents lifetimes and that's really scary to think about oh change can happen fast that's great but then it's also like oh god if i wasn't even born a few generations before i'd
1: be thoroughly not in a good place oh my god no i think about that all the time i'm like thank goodness i mean even though Life isn't perfect, thank goodness I was born when I was born, because I feel like the world is really changing, you know, with more education and the younger people learning and trying to dismantle these systems, I feel like a brighter future will come where everyone can be who they want to be and do whatever they want to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, something that really sticks out to me is how they've really paved the way for like how we approach systemic oppression. A lot of Black radical groups, queer radical organizations united against police brutality in the 70s. Liberation is so um, tied to each community member that they understood that. The Gay Liberation Front, we had Star, who was founded by um, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. Um, We have the Combahee River Collective, among So many other orgs who are directly responsible for, like, the work we're able to do now, they only demanded systemic change as a response to systemic oppression. That's why we now know that individualism is not how we solve our issues. And I think that is so important to my organizing. Trans women, like, have really paved the way. We owe everything. I owe everything to trans women who were like in this space before. me. Mm-hmm.
2: It's interesting uh, to think about. I, I've always, I was reading about um, and watching a video about the the trickle up system of fashion and culture and that and how, like how we owe everything to the uh, black and brown, queer and trans folks who paved the way, not just for the LGBT rights movement, but we're also leading so many other social movements. And the way that like our society treats trans people, LGBT people like trash, but then steals culture so easily and so fluently. For example, the Met Gala, the theme was camp. If you, I think it was last year or the year before, for those of you who don't know, is and fashion in and in invented by the um, ballroom scene in New York City by, um I think it's mostly black and Latino, queer and trans folks, and the ballroom scene in New York City. And-
1: Watch the On FX. Yes, watch
2: Pose on FX. So good. So good. Oh my God, one of my favorite shows. For so long, people were looked down upon for their culture and things like that. And I read something that there's a trickle up system where usually it's um, black and brown, like queer and trans people who make the culture, who make the slang, the the words that are used by people, the fashion, the everything that is culture. And then it trickles up as it starts by uh, black and brown, queer and trans people, then it trickles up to white gay people and uh, cis and straight black folks and then it trickles up to like everyone and on and on um i don't know how much of that is true but it just seems that that seems about right and then the actual people who invented the culture are often left behind but then it's like you know you see kim kardashian at the met gala being rewarded for doing camp then you see people using slang and using fashion and all of these stuff uh, invented by mostly black trans women but then you still see like black trans women being murdered at alarming rate our society has such a reveres the
1: culture but not the people who invent it and that's often right.
2: something that's quite disturbing
1: yeah 100% true and that just makes me think what you said about language a lot i think of words like tea and shade and like snatching wigs these are all words that have been created by my community and it's just crazy how they end up on memes they end up in uh, spaces where people literally don't have uh, those identities. And I'm not saying that people don't have to embrace that, but that's the thing, it's like, you embrace the parts of the culture that you want, but you don't genuinely care about the people. I think about fashion all the time too. I don't understand how mostly skinny cis women walking down a runway back and forth in dresses. I mean, yes, the dresses are beautiful. I just don't understand how like, that's a real career still in 2020. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not coming for anyone who's a model. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying (laughs) people, it blows my mind how people who are like skinny cis white women who are wearing such beautiful gowns are getting so much money to wear these things and walk. And the same kind of things happen in ballroom or like in underground spaces. And the girls are turning out looks. They are literally wearing high fashion gowns. The only difference is they make those gowns themselves. And a lot of them aren't living lavishly um so I just think it's really interesting the two differences there's our differences between the culture and people who I don't know anyways I don't know what I'm saying let me be quiet no but no you're no 100% that was
0: right it. don't be
2: quiet that's so true
0: um no I was, I was just okay. gonna say I learned about the underground ball culture like in pose one episode they were talking about what's the Gwen Stefani I think like she made a song Madonna Vogue. Oh, oh Madonna, Madonna. <laughs> that song's
2: a bop I was bopping I was like I'm horrible at voguing but I was like fake voguing to it like the other yeah
0: day. and they were like yeah like we're gonna make it big culture is gonna like appreciate us when I was watching that scene all I could think about is how like the mass media will like exploit us fair pleasure that episode really hit me processing that and seeing how it would look like at the time they were in and then modern times wanted to add that piece there was a quote sorry
1: no, 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 go, go. There was a quote from
0: that episode in Pose. I think when
2: the, for those of you who don't know, Pose is a show about ballroom culture in New York City. Highly recommend watching. In the 80s. Um, in the 80s difference. and 90s. Yeah, ah. the The second season is in the 90s and it's all, it, it surrounds Madonna releasing a song called Vogue because voguing is a, is a style of dance that was invented in, in the ballroom culture. And they were all so excited that, oh my God, this is our time to shine. This is our time to shine. The, the members of the ballroom culture would be teaching like voguing classes and everyone would be excited. But then it you you see how it, it went away. The fad like left. One of the, the characters, Damien, he had to stop teaching voguing classes. And one, the, the person who ran the YMCA where, where he was teaching, she was a black woman. And she said, the white people always come to visit, but they never move in. They never move in. They came to visit the culture, wouldn't keep supporting, like they wouldn't keep taking his classes and learning how to vogue. Like that was just, oh, the, when Madonna's song was on the charts, they cared. And then songs don't stay on the charts forever. It was very successful, it was a historic song. But then eventually, you know, the, the news cycles move on as they always do. The The mainstream culture moved on and they were left, you know, the mainstream culture got some hit songs and maybe learned a little, people learned how to Vogue, people knew about them, but eventually the income and the, the you know, they stopped taking the Damien's Vogue classes. They stopped caring and they kind of moved on. And That's when the lady said, you know, the white people never move in. He was like, I know, I know. But there was that hope that, like, maybe they would, but they didn't. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's always like that.
1: I love the quotes from Pose. Yes, the quotes in the episodes, like, of the dialogue between the characters. But also at the end, they always have, like, a black screen with a little quote. And I just live for them. So if you're listening to this, you should definitely watch Pose. Um, It's a must-see And it's just so crazy because it actually represents the tea. It represents the tea that the girls go through, especially what you just said about, you know, loving the culture, loving the people, but then like also killing us. Pose does a good job of explaining intimate partner violence that a lot of the trans girls face, where it's like these guys will live for the girls. They're pretty. They're doing their thing. They're living their life. But at the end of the day, they're going to kill us. Um, so watch pose, what else are I going to say? Oh, and then another thing about just culture and fashion and beauty. I think it's so interesting that in 2020, a lot of the cis girls have lashes up to, up to the Jesus or like beat on 24 seven. And as you should, whatever makes you feel comfortable, whatever makes you feel beautiful. But I think a lot of like heavy contour and powder and crazy dramatic lashes would have maybe been seen as drag. 20 years ago. You know, I feel like makeup revolution and makeup culture has definitely also been influenced by drag culture and LGBT people. When I say we owe
0: everything to them.
1: Oh, period.
0: (laughs) Everything. Period. And then for like language, really quickly, like gay like power was a really, really popularized slogan in that community. And you can think of black power and the relation between those two groups is so important to me. and then obviously gay pride became more widely used, but I thought that language mirroring between queer folks and then like Black radical groups is really interesting to me. So that was the history of pride and the history of writing, a little bit of pose. And let's talk about pride now. And we've been hitting on this a little bit, but pride is really commercialized right now. Um, it's just a bit disconnected from the politic that started it we can see like police escorting pride parades when originally pride was a riot against police brutality corporations like use this way use this month as a way to like make profits you can call this quote-unquote rainbow capitalism they've really gotten good at specifying or not specifying like targeting this month as like a month of like making money off the backs of queer and brown on um, folks How have you guys seen this? How have you seen um, the commodification of pride? For me, something that I care deeply about, and this
2: is why I'm going to film school and actually going to make this my career, is I've always been deeply upset by the lack of representation of LGBT folks, especially like queer women, because it's usually just, if there's representation, it's cis gay, white men. And then everyone else is like, okay, y'all take a back burner when they don't understand that you have to represent each letter because each letter in the LGBTQ has its own unique experiences it sucks like you know i grew up watching disney movies and really you know wishing that there was like disney princess like me or like girls who like other girls represented i never saw that but then i see these same companies that go out of their way to like that have hundreds and hundreds of movies that completely erase lgbt people from the picture like how do you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of movies and we are not in it once. Um, And then they will like post like a little rainbow graphic or like they'll sell like rainbow Mickey Mouse ears or whatever. And it's just, I don't want merch. I want representation. It's so annoying to see these corporations. They'll put like a little rainbow logo, especially media companies. That's what really gets me is media companies who have the money and skills. There are so many queer writers and filmmakers and folks out there who they could so uplift our stories are so interesting they should so be telling them and it's instead they're like here's a cute little rainbow graphic that we're going to change for a month but then they're not going to the the movie rosters will come out of their new releases and it's just Would you like to hear about some straight white people? Here you go. There's more. That's it. And so for me, I'm not saying, I'm glad Pride exists. And I honestly, like even, it just goes to show how underrepresented we are that even just seeing rainbows in places somewhere, it gives me like a little bit of comfort. Not really. It's just like, I- like pride and i i look forward to it every every year it's not like pride comes and i'm like thank god i'm liberated because that's not usually what happens i don't hate it and i do look forward to it and i am sad when it's over but um it just is really disappointing to see especially like companies that could be doing so much putting up a little rainbow graphic maybe selling up some rainbow mickey mouse ears and then when it comes to their films when it comes to their shows when it comes to what they produce for the world they continue to erase us and that just really
1: sucks you know, that's exactly how I feel. It's like, okay, I guess it's cute in theory, right? It's a cute little moment. It's a cute gathering. It's a cute kiki. And it, it does allow people to feel safe, you know? Like, that's why I'm thankful that it exists, especially for younger queer folk or just older queer folk. Like, it gives people a sense of community and a day of belonging or a month of feeling like they can have other people that they can speak to. But I, you know, I'm just tired of the erasure, literally the erasure. I think about this all the time. I don't really watch TV or movies much just because I feel like I rarely ever see people that are like me in my life. Like I'm just tired of seeing cis people all the time. Literally. I think it even, I feel like even within the LGBT, like T is always so underrepresented, underrepresented, um, underrepresented, LOL. I need a read grammar or proper <laughs> English. Um, I just don't see people that even remind me of me. Like if, you know, I'm thinking of trans representation right now, I live for Miss Pose. She's cute. She's doing her thing. But at the same time, I also feel like a lot of trans people aren't involved in ballroom. A lot of trans women and part of that community and don't have a bunch of queer people in their day-to-day life, too. So I just think there's so many different layers and stories that are so interesting that need to be told. And I also think about the show Euphoria. I mean, I'm happy that I actually auditioned for the role of Jules, but I didn't get it. But I'm happy they chose someone who is trans to, you know, play that role. But I also just want to see like the trans South Asian girls. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to see the mixed trans girls too, the Hispanic girls. I want to see different types of trans people in media, not just the femme queens in ballroom, you know? I want to see the trans mother who, you know, lived her whole life as a father. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I want to see just more layered stories that are interesting and different. Yeah. So sorry, that was a rant. Yeah.
0: No, rants are welcomed. Um, but the last thing I want to just hit, how the commodification of movements harm the work that's being done. Because when you make radical ideas palatable enough to like make money off of it, make money off the direct, experiences of folks who suffer under this system, which is also designed to maintain homophobia, trans misogyny, and the patriarchy. Those radical ideas are like not actually radical anymore. People aren't able to do the work that actually like puts pressure on the system and allows them to be accountable to the injustices that they're maintaining. Um, And so I wanted us just like take that with us we want to make sure that our activism like isn't performative.
1: Yeah. Can I, yeah. I want, I just wanted to say like, um, I feel like people really need to understand that just because you have a rainbow flag on your poster doesn't mean that you're not dismantling white supremacy. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that you are dismantling white supremacy. I feel like pride extends beyond being cute, wearing rainbow flags and saying, I love gay people. It's actually be about being radical in your thinking and unlearning that gay is abnormal or, LGBT people have never existed. People need to actually literally try to learn and take a history class on LGBT, I don't know, just try to actually enlighten themselves and understand that pride isn't just rainbow, it isn't just happiness, it isn't just, I love happiness and rainbows and sunshine, it's I fought for my rights and I fought to be myself, right? So that's all I'm gonna say. Um, If you're not gay or if you're not LGBT and you consider yourself an ally, How are you as a cis het person actively challenging these systems of cisness, of, you know, heteronormativity? And how are you perpetuating these systems in your everyday life? And if you really consider yourself an ally, I think that respecting LGBT people extends beyond, you know, using right pronouns and trying to be affirming by saying, oh my gosh, you look so pretty today, to a trans person. I think it's doing the work of actually unlearning these systems just learning that this existence is a radical act in itself and to know all the pain anger and kind of trauma that a lot of us have to experience so anyways I am done talking for that portion I don't know what I just said but um, I know what you said though it was all truth thank you okay. like that was um,
0: so what do you want our audience to be left with can you finish off with how can they support your work? So something that I want everyone listening to be left with is this
2: people, we are who we are 12 months out of the year, not one month. It's not, you know, it turns off after in July 1st, we are who we are all year round, whether people are looking or waving rainbow flags at us or not. And I think that the something that I want people to know is that it's just like, you don't get a cookie for doing the bare minimum of like not hating people. Like, I feel like it's weird. People need a special word for like, I don't hate you and I am not, it's a little weird that, um, I guess what I'm saying is that you don't get a cookie for doing the bare minimum and really what you need to do beyond just maybe showing up at Pride is within your workplace, what are you doing? Like, do you work at a media company? Do you see that people aren't being represented? bring that up to your boss. You don't have to be queered to say like, Hey, I see an issue here. Oh, we should be representing these communities more. Do you work at a company that is doing any harm or that is, you know, just within your workplace, there's so much that can be done. Um, and if you as a cis straight person can use your privilege to like, speak up about that and show that, you know, so we're not just only having to speak up for ourselves, you using that to, to advocate for people. And, you know, I was talking to someone and Natalie Mabane, she is an adult mentor for Zero Hour. Uh, She's a Black straight woman. I am a queer woman who is non-Black. She was saying that straight people never think about queer people ever. Like most straight cis people think that they are the norm and that everything that isn't them is deviating. Even if people aren't maliciously hateful, then that's just what it is and people are not going to be thinking about you unless they have to unless there's something in the news or it's pride but then even beyond that they just don't think about sexuality they don't think about gender because they don't have to and the same thing goes for like white people don't think about race unless something comes up and it's just anyone who is not a member of an oppressed group doesn't think about the other the oppressed group unless they have to which is kind of depressing but it's maybe we can do that conscious work too if you are Sis and straight make sure you are actively thinking about being inclusive and, and thinking about who isn't in the room i i rambled a little but that's just something i want to leave people with um if you want to connect with me and the work that i do you can follow me on social media it's just jamie mark for all social channels and i have a book out called youth to power and you can go to www.youthtopowerbook.com which devon is featured in so you can also read her story in yeah as well so yeah, you can go get the book and read a little more about Devin and the work that she does, as well as other young, amazing activists that, again, the website is www.youthtopowerbook.com
1: 2 powerbookcom mm-hmm. And one last thing, uh, if you want to keep up with me, my Instagram is at DevinHalbaugh um i don't really use other social medias i should try to start getting on so- other social medias and also try to support any lgbt people that you know uh, whether they have social medias or youtube channels or whatever film programs I don't know. just try to support um and that's all i have to say she's not dead yet we've still so much to protect and this isn't a cute song this is a threat Cause we met at a Thank you
0: Desmond and Jamie for joining us today. This is a really humbling conversation for me and I felt really grounded and it was really good to sit down to talk about the history of pride together, how you know commodifying movements can actually hurt the efforts of organizers and also like how we can plug into work that actively creates solidarity. So I'm super excited excited to speak with everyone next time. The music for this week's episode is We Met at a Protest by Rivers Wilder-Green. Thank you, Rivers. You can learn more about her music and work in the LGBTQ plus community on her Instagram at underscore Wilder Green, W-I-L-D-E-R-G-R-E-E-N and the way that you can plug
2: into the work that zero hour does is you can go to this is zerohour.org to learn more about what we do to read our platform and you can follow us at this is zero hour on facebook
0: instagram and twitter to plug in lastly thank you so much for goal 17 for producing this for us and for allowing us to have space to talk our shit